Welcome to the Morning News Podcast for Tuesday, September 8th. We begin with a conversation with Mercedes Stevenson, Global News Ottawa Bureau Chief and host of the West Block. Lots to cover this week, including the recent controversy surrounding historical statues and monuments in our nation, and the question of whether a fall federal election is on the way for Canadians. Next, with school back in full swing, we take a look at the stats when it comes to kids and COVID-19. We catch up with our on-call family physician, Dr. Ted Jablonski. No microwaves, no cafeterias, and no access to hot water. We get advice from a registered dietitian on how to pack healthy lunches and snacks for back to school that the kids will actually eat. And finally, the Alberta government has declared September Recovery Month to support Albertans in addiction recovery. We speak with Associate Minister of Mental Health and Addictions, Jason Luan, to hear about the resources available to address the problem in our province. 6.09 on the morning news. It was a busy West Block on Global this weekend. Uh, should controversial historical statues be torn down? Will there be a fall election? And Alberta has named Canada's first black justice minister. Those are the topics Global's Ottawa bureau chief and a host of the West Block, Mercedes Stevenson, covered. And the ones that we're going to discuss with her today. Good morning to you, Mercedes. Good morning, guys. How are you? Good. Hope you had a good long weekend, although I'm sure you didn't. <laughs> Something called the West Block on Sunday. Um, but let's let's start uh, as you did with election talk. You chatted with Heritage Minister Stephen Gilbo. Uh, Gilbo. Am I saying it correctly? Gilbo. 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 Yeah. En français. Andrew's si very French. On it, it, they always they always trip me up. <laughs> Stephen Gilbo uh, about uh, about the election or perhaps potential for what did he say about that? Well, you know, he is insisting, as we've heard other ministers and the prime minister, that they they don't want a fall election. Uh, but there's a lot of folks in Ottawa who aren't quite so convinced uh, by their statements on that because of what we keep hearing is coming from sources. And that is that, they, and they've said it themselves too, a transformational agenda. But this idea that they could potentially uh, abandon fiscal anchors, which are, are things like your debt to GDP ratio, things that have normally... Um, it sort of functioned as a control on government spending that finance ministers were just not willing to go beyond certain debt levels to GDP. Uh, Bill Morneau used to talk about that a lot. Now that he's gone, does that mean uh, that they're going to kind of go off of a fiscal cliff with spending? Uh, the discussions about a serious green agenda and how much money that could cost. The, this is something the government sees as an opportunity to transform industry, uh, to transform green. Okay, how much money is that? Uh, and that there is a possibility the government could either put so much in there that some of the opposition doesn't want to vote for it or that they say look we feel we need a mandate from the people of Canada I could tell you sources tell me they are polling very very closely on all of these issues mm. they're looking at whether or not to go to the polls they're looking at Aaron O'Toole's numbers they've been coming up he's doing pretty well um, and the NDP's numbers which have been you know through the floor for a while now they don't have money uh, they would struggle to fight an election right now the NDP insists they're ready to go but the reality is they don't have the funds to mount any kind of a campaign like they did last time if you're the liberals who are hoping to take ndp seats that might be appealing that also might mean if you're ndp you're not too keen to bring down the government though uh but you know the liberals have lost a couple of seats recently with mps leaving to go into private life uh bill morneau ha has done so uh, another liberal mp michael levitt from downtown um, toronto that means you only need a couple more seats to tip the balance to bring down the government potentially. Um, so there's a very real chance of it, although 
everybody on all sides is claiming that it's not that they want it. Um, they're all certainly calculating and getting ready that it could happen. So as much as they say no, we probably mean or understand that that means yes in the end. So we'll, we'll, watch, we'll watch how <laughs> no that plays out. No could mean yes in politics sometimes. <laughs> Very much so. Let's talk about the uh, controversial historical statues. You also spoke to the uh, heritage minister about that, leaving them and teaching more truth about the history, or do we tear them down? His thoughts on it. So he does not think the answer is tearing down the statues, and he acknowledged that certainly um, th these are statues that are in some cases uh, offensive to people, that they are statues that represent a history that has not, not been taught, histories of racism, uh, histories, uh, uh, attempts of wiping people out, of genocide against Indigenous people. But he's saying, look, the answer isn't to sort of uh, take them down as a mob in anger, but rather to look more at what is the history and there's actually an interesting project here in Ottawa uh, where they're talking about putting up plaques next to these statues that don't just celebrate the good things they did but also talk about hey here's the things they did that we haven't been taught about uh, that we look back on now and say you know that wasn't right um, or in some cases they're also talking about erecting statues of famous indigenous Canadians of, of famous Canadians uh, from other racialized communities to recognize their contributions which have often been ignored um, as a way of kind of trying to, to present a more fulsome version of history. He wouldn't really go down the path. I tried what the federal government's mm. going to do about this. They keep trying to say, you know, sort of as municipal and whatever. Um, but heritage and, and culture are ultimately this government. And we do know that we expect in the throne speech, they're going to talk a lot about racialized Canadians and minority groups uh, and their interests and representing them. So I will be very curious to see if there's anything in there about it. Uh, but, but at this point, the federal government has sort of largely tried to stay out of that debate. Well, and it's a worldwide uh, question at this point what to do with these historical statues and monuments. Mm -hmm. So I guess a, a Canada-made solution has to come along at some point. Now, Alberta also uh, in the news and on uh, the West Block named Canada's first black justice minister, Casey Madu. You asked him about systemic racism in Canada's courts and policing. What was what, what did he have to say about that? Well, you know, he gave us this really personal description of, of what it was like to to be him, to come here from Nigeria, to put in job applications as a perfectly qualified candidate under his real name and not get hired. And when he changed his name to Casey, then people started responding and hiring him of what it was like to be in courtrooms and to not see as many people who looked like him or to see people who looked like him not being promoted. Um, and he said that, you know, he thinks there's some major changes that are required as you know, he does not support the defund police movement. He doesn't think that's the answer, but he does think there are issues with how the system works with police and injustice. And in particular, he talked to us about wanting to change the number of people who are appointed to the bench, who are qualified and from minority communities. Because he said, look, the reality is there are not a lot of judges who look like Casey Madu. Uh, there are not a lot of judges who look like other minority and racialized communities. And that's because not because there is any sort of a, a lack of lawyers from those communities who are qualified to be sitting on the badge, just bench. So that's one of the things um, he's going to be looking at. And of course, they're looking at policing too. Alberta relies largely on the RCMP, as you know, uh, when it comes to provincial policing. So that will be sort of a, an interesting thing for the Justice Minister to tackle because they're a federal force. And of course, they're the force that has sort of taken the most criticism for systemic racism recently. 
you know, it's going to be interesting to watch him. It seems like he's a very popular uh, person just in general and, and that people really like Casey Madu. It'll be interesting to see if he, you know, makes some changes out here in Alberta. I wanted to uh, touch base with you about schools before we let you go. We've had a, an outbreak of COVID cases at a handful of schools in southern Alberta. Anything going on in Ontario at this point? I know a lot of the schools are just starting to go back this week, aren't they? That's right. There's there's some that started back last week or or started back just a little bit. Um, and I know, you know, I work with lots of people who have kids. Everybody's worried. Um, it's a really tough time to be putting your kids back into school. And uh, there's still a lot of sort of discussion on how all of this is going to unfold. The $2 billion from the federal government has come. Uh, Ontario is actually getting the most of that money, but it's sort of coming right as people have already made preparations to go back to school. So it's still something that you can tell uh, the government here is, is polling. They're trying to figure out how exactly to do this. Uh, the other thing is different school districts are kind of going back at different times. So I know there's uh, kids of colleagues here who are back in Ottawa, uh, but kids in Coburg and in some other places that are just a little closer to Toronto who haven't gone back yet. Um, so it's it's still really sort of this process, but it's top of mind for everyone. And, and in particular, as it cools off, right? They've got the kids outside right now, but everyone knows you have to go back inside soon. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's going to be one of the biggest challenges for the provincial government here in particular, because they've had a pretty testy relationship with the teachers union on top of that, which sort of layers in and factors in it. I think you've had sort of a similar situation out in Alberta uh, with Premier Kenny and the teachers unions in Alberta. I guess time will tell then. It's all back to school here, that's for sure. Thank you so much for your time, Mercedes. Thanks for having me. That is Mercedes Stevenson, Global News Ottawa Bureau Chief and host of the West Block. It's 617, time for helicopter traffic for West District by Truman. Life happens at hellowestdistrict.com. Ongoing construction around the interchange of Sarcy, Glenmore, and Highway 8 through the southwest. Uh, watch for lane realignments, speed restrictions through that area. So far, though, light volume onto Glenmore Trail. Eastbound lane sitting at 8 minutes from Sarcy Trail out towards Deerfoot. Deerfoot Trail, a 9-minute drive out of the southeast, northbound from Stony Trail up towards 17th Avenue. And even that southbound drive as you make your way in from Airdrie, uh, looking pretty good all the way down towards Memorial Drive. We're not seeing any major delays yet. Over in the northwest, Crochelle Trail. Well, that's a 10-minute drive southbound out of Tuscany and Rocky Ridge down towards the Bow River. Don't settle for less than 99% coverage. With TELUS, you get far better mobile coverage in Alberta than with Shaw's Freedom Network. Visit telus.com network. For the 770 CHQR traffic helicopter, I'm Brady Howard. Well, it's the start of a new and very different school year for Calgary kids. There's been a lot of debate about the safety of our kids heading back into the classroom. And with COVID already popping up in a handful of schools, this is the perfect time to discuss with Dr. Ted Jablonski, our on-call family physician. Good morning, Dr. J. Good morning. Thank you for joining us. I'm sure you've been uh, watching that over the weekend for sure. Not shocking, not surprising that we're seeing COVID. Maybe the fact that it's popped up so quickly, but let's talk about the stats when it comes to COVID-19 and kids. So kids certainly can get COVID-19, but they don't get very sick from it. So the hospitalization rate is extremely low. And we have, uh, there's been not a death in Alberta from COVID-19 since the start. So the death rate is extremely low. And that's historic, and that's in all countries that we look at. Dr. J, symptoms, are they different uh, when it comes to kids? And what should we be aware of if we're parents 
and our kids who come back home from school or wherever, or you just start to see something develop. What are, what are those signs? So the symptom list is very similar to adults with uh, perhaps there's a, a GI component. So kids can get uh, diarrhea as a lead symptom. But it's typically the si- similar. It's a respiratory illness. So all those uh, like flu-like kind of stories, uh, runny nose, uh, runny eyes, cough, fever, yeah, muscle aches, headaches. Um, but yeah, with the with the addition of diarrhea, and you can have all of them. You can have one of them. So any symptom that sounds cold-like, flu-like, that's a symptom that you have to react to. And if we're going to have success in this. Um, I mean, we have to do our best with with all the social distancing as best we can, masking as meticulous as we can, hand washing, etc. But the other thing is also we have to react to symptoms. And if if a kid is sick, we have to react, and we have to get testing, and we have to do case finding. If we can stay on top of it, we win. If we lose control of it or throw the rules out the window or start to disregard things, that's when we're going to lose. So my reply to you on that one is kind of two-pronged. Is sneezing a symptom we need to be watching for? And then are you behind the school sending these kids home really quickly should they show any symptoms at all? So so part one, sneezing could be, but not a, not a, that's not a dominant symptom because sneezing is more likely to be allergic or reacting to something. So that would not be, if that's all you had, no. Okay. Number two, yes. <laughs> so uh, I don't want to get into the politics of is this a good decision, bad decision, or how it's all going to work. But again, that is a reaction to things that if we do get a case, we need to isolate it quickly and try to get it out of the system, if as it were. Now, the only issue is direct contact. So in theory, other classrooms who don't have direct contact with a positive case are still good to go. But within that classroom, there'll be rules and regulations. And I think if we can do that and do that really well and efficiently, um, we'll do well. And this is what we've done outside of school starting in the community when there's been cases. If we've been able to uh, do a very quick public health contact tracing, figure out where somebody got it, we can shut down that cluster pretty quickly and pretty efficiently. And so when we can't figure that out or when the system has gotten overwhelmed, whether it's taken, you know, five days or six days to check the tracing because there have been so many cases, that's when we've run, out, we've run into a bit more trouble because things have gotten a little farther, right? Or if people didn't get tested, if I'm, you know, mm-hmm. and still in contact with the community. So if you're symptomatic, you have to self-isolate, get the test as quickly as possible and find out where you stand and let the public health do their job. Thank you so much for your time this morning, Dr. J. Okay, you betcha. That is Dr. Ted Jablonski, our on-call family physician. Seven oh nine on the morning news. Like everything else, lunch at school is going to look different this fall in order to reduce the spread of COVID-19. Most schools aren't allowing kids to share food, which means no fun lunches. There won't be vending machines. High school cafeterias are on hold for a bit, and students will no longer have the ability to reheat their meals in a shared microwave. With some lunch ideas, we're joined by CEO, that's Chief Energy Officer from Health Stand Nutrition Consulting Incorporated, Andrea Holwagner. Good morning to you, Andrea. Good morning. I think we can still have some fun with lunch. Well, that's a, that's the big question. <laughs> Hallelujah. Because that whole that whole rethink and pivot. I know that you know some parents just love the convenience of the cafeteria or like to send leftovers that can't be sent if you want to reheat them right now. So where do we start? Because for some parents, it's going to be just a, a complete clean slate. Help. 
Yes, I know uh, not having the microwave as an option is uh, definitely a challenge for some families as well here. But, um, you know, being a mom myself, I think the key thing, too, is really try and innovate something that looks visually pleasing. So when your kid opens up that lunchbox, they get a little excited. And what I find works practically both as a parent myself uh, as, and as well as a dietitian is definitely more of a bento box theme. And the reason that is so successful with so many kids is they get to see little containers and little sections of different items, um, different textures, shapes, colors. And again, who wouldn't want to open up a lunchbox of, say, something like a Mexican bento box where we got little taco chips and um, maybe a little bean salad. We got little grated cheese, maybe a bit of guacamole, and you can kind of dip and you know assemble things as we go. Or if you think of something like a caprese salad skewer, the little mini boccacini cheese balls with a little grape tomato, you could put some crackers, you could put a little mini muffin on the corner. Um, really, again, trying to keep it fun and visual is really what we're after here. I love the the bento box idea. So you've got a little bit of kind of everything in there. What about, though, and I speak from experience, kids who are more picky, any <laughs> thoughts or ideas to help us with those kids? Oh, yes. Well, you know, first of all, remember that sometimes kids need to try something 10 to 20 different times before they're going to accept something. So we got to, just because they don't eat it once doesn't mean they may um, not eat it again. Maybe, for example, if you'd sent um, something like a uh, a pancake sandwich, which, again, most kids love breakfast kind of themes. But if you tried that once and you put a little bit of uh, cream cheese and some jam and kind of stuck it together in a sandwich and you Mm. thought, okay, this looks good but maybe they didn't eat it that day. Um, What you want to do the next time you send it is maybe change up the shape. So, for example, you might want to slice it into long strips or into cubes on a toothpick. So trying to, again, see what kind of fun shape that might be uh, interesting. Of course, you can do the same thing with French toast fingers as well. So on the weekend, make a big, giant batch of French toast Soak it up really well with lots of egg if you're sending it for lunch because that's going to be that protein. And uh, you can serve it up with uh, some cream cheese in the middle or the no-nut um, pea butter or mm, peat butter mm. um, and some jam. Or, you know, put a little jar of um, maple syrup that they can kind of dip their French toast finger into uh, when they get mm. to school. Love that. Put a little side of berries or some fruit of some sort. And, uh, again, we've got a fun lunch for kids. You're going to start making my lunch for me, Andrea, because this sounds <laughs> fantastic. Uh, and I guess the other thing we could look at is, you know, the snacks. If if they're not big, you know, on, on one particular thing, many, many different snacks could be uh, the, the solution here. You bet. Uh, one of the things that's kind of fun to make, and again, you could get the kids making these, is you can do what I call a pretzel dipper. And a pretzel Ooh. dipper is putting together little cubes of cheese, but at the end of it, um, is a, a pretzel stick. So, again, so much fun. And if you put a little bit of dip of some sort, like hummus or honey mustard or reduced balsamic vinegar as sort of the dip along the way, um, really just trying to keep it fun, get them involved. If you head on over to my website, I've got 26 fun lunchbox editions. So we talked about a few here. Download the list, go through them with the kids and see which ones they'll actually be interested to eat. That's brilliant. Um, yeah, my website, healthstandnutrition.com, is where you can get all the tips. Okay. Um, I've also got a, a recipe for nut-free energy bites. It's very popular for uh, schools, again. Um, nut-free, so school-friendly, and all sorts of good nutrition packed in these little round balls um, that moms are going to be happy about. That's a nice, awesome idea, too, the kind of the energy ball idea. What about for, for kids? My kid loves to take soup to school, but with no microwave, 
you know, I, I guess, is there, are there ways to just kind of maybe change soup to be something else? Yeah, I mean, certainly our family, we do quite well with uh, soups in a thermos. So again, the key with mm. the thermos, I would spend some money on get a really good quality one um, that's stainless steel, preheat that thermos with uh, boiling hot water before you add your soup into it, and that helps to retain some of that heat. Um, and those works really well for things like your soups, your chilies, your pasta and, and meat sauce, or if you're a vegetarian family, pasta and lentils overtop your your uh uh, pasta there. Um, so thermoses, give it a try. Again, I think it's just going to take a little experimenting if you haven't done some of these things before. Um, one of my other favorite ideas is what I call handcrafted fruit cocktail as a side. So if you did your soup in a thermos, then the side um, could be whatever kind of fruit you've got in the house. Uh, maybe you got mangoes or peaches or blueberries or strawberries laying around. Just put a splash of juice over top and make your own fruit cocktail with a whole bunch of different varieties of fruit. And things like apples or pears, if you put a splash of juice in them, again, it helps prevent them from going browning. And again, it's just it's kind of fun for kids to open up this own version of their fruit cocktail uh, that you've made in their lunch. Andrea, you know, as a parent, it's it's tough to, to find something they like. And I'm wondering, as long as it's healthy and not a bag of chips and a can of Coke, <laughs> if they like to have the same thing in their lunch every day, do we fight it? Or give them options, but just in the end say, okay, you win, you're going to get the same thing every day? there's going to be fan favorites for sure um, and I see that in my son as well um, and I guess you can always mix up the variety at your breakfast your snacks after school your suppers your bedtime snacks um, with a lot more ease because again you're there to supervise and select and kind of encourage them to eat so if you find that lunch is a bit of a battle and things are coming back in that lunch kit full then really try and keep to maybe some more of those favorites um, and see what you can do to just kind of maybe tweak and mix up maybe the, the little snacks that come along sided uh, as well. So variety is the spice of life, but hey, we can mix up variety at other times of the day. And just try and try and try again, I guess, is, is your tip there. If I'm going to use that on my son who <laughs> hates pretty much everything. So I love also on your website, you've got a meal planning um, sort of, uh, you know, a, a set up there. So to kind of help parents as they get ready for the week. So you're not scrambling every night. That's a great idea. Thank you so much for joining us. And again, uh, website is health, health, you do it. You, you tell us. No problem. <laughs> Go ahead. Healthstand, which is S-T-A-N-D, nutrition.com. Healthstandnutrition.com. Thanks, Andrea. Thanks so much for having me. That's Andrea Holwagner, CEO of Chief Energy Officer at Healthstand Nutrition Consulting. 717 helicopter traffic for West District by Truman. Only one traffic light from the mountains. around Stony Trail and 16th Avenue. So mostly impacting the southbound ramp from Stony Trail to eastbound 16th Avenue. Keep a heads up for that as well as the ongoing construction here. There's lane realignments and speed restrictions in all directions. Uh, we are just following Searcy Trail off of 16th Avenue down into the southwest. We do spot that ongoing construction near Richmond Road. There's a lot of pylons out in this area. Uh, speed restrictions as well. And if you are continuing southbound on Searcy Trail past Richmond Road, there's a left lane closure as you continue down towards Highway 8 and Glenmore Trail. Volume-wise, though, still pretty quiet as you uh, continue on to Glenmore. Eastbound lanes are about eight minutes from Sarcy Trail out towards Deerfoot. You're also getting that sun now, so glare factor might become an issue in the next 10 to 15 minutes. But dry road conditions around this part of the city, as well as um, through the southeast and northeast, we're not seeing any problems so far, but we'll keep an eye on it. Don't settle for less than 99% coverage with TELUS. You get far better mobile coverage in Alberta than with Shaw's Freedom Network. Visit telus.com slash network. Up in the 770 CHQR traffic helicopter, I'm Brady Howard. 
8.12 on the morning news. The Alberta government is declaring September Recovery Month to support Albertans in addiction recovery. During Recovery Month, Albertans are encouraged to speak openly and honestly about their stories of recovery. We're joined now by Associate Minister of Mental Health and Addictions, Jason Luan. Good morning to you, Minister. Uh, good morning, Andrew. First off, how was the idea conceived to declare September Recovery Month? Uh, Recovery Month, uh, this is the second year in a row we're doing this. And Recovery Month is celebrated uh, not only here, but across the, the, the globe, many other places. Okay, so let's talk about uh, addiction, particularly in our uh, province. How much of an issue is it for Albertans? Well, you know, it is a big issue, as you're aware that currently Alberta is uh, uh, still in a, in a opioid crisis, and uh, the uh, uh, new government, uh, you know, since we took office, created this uh, brand new social ministry uh, to solely dedicate for this. So this is important for our new government. This is important for Albertans as we are navigating this crisis. Um, if I can go on right away to talk about why we're focusing on uh, recovery, mm-hmm. uh, let me begin by saying that uh, this is a, a huge policy shift for the new government. Uh, instead of uh, you know focusing on managing addiction as a problem, uh, we shifted into a hopeful, uh, uh, healthy, focused uh, policy that we focus on recovery, we focus on getting people well, we focus on um, develop a full continuum care uh, that help people get into a uh, healthy living situation. So that's the shift. So by declaring um, Recovery Month, uh, what we're doing is we celebrate thousands thousands of burdens who have been recovered and who are living in in a healthy recovery life. And by uh, celebrating their lives and setting examples for others and let's Recovery is possible, recovery can be done, and recovery is a healthy way to live. I think it's wonderful that we celebrate recovery because it is attainable and it is possible and it's, uh, you know, so amazing for people to, to regain their lives back and so many people who thought they'd lose someone in their lives and they're back because they have recovered. But we can't turn a blind eye to the fact that it is still an issue, Minister. So with the supervised consumption sites that, you know, kind of disappearing across the province, are there other ways that the province is going to fight this battle then? Uh, Sue, thanks for that great question. Uh, let me uh, clarify that uh, uh, with supervised consumption site, uh, what we discovered through the uh, uh, provincial uh, experts panel was that after they consulted with 19,000 Albertans, uh, the conclusion is the service as offered uh, in the existing state, it's a chaos. It doesn't work. Uh, but that doesn't mean, uh, you know, the whole uh, harm reduction measures, which supervised consumption site is one approach of that measure uh, isn't working. So what we're doing is uh, we're incorporating components of home, uh, harm reduction measures into our full uh, continuum care, this comprehensive model. So this representing a shift from uh, uh, heavily rely on one pillar into a multi-pillar comprehensive system that focus on recovery that have full continuum care. In regard to the last bridge issue we talk about, uh, the reason for that one uh, funding withdrawal was mainly because uh, it was a huge, severe financial mismanagement of uh, 1.6 million being encountered for, and a long list of other uh, 
mismanagement that currently investing by police. So, um, you know, for that, for sure, you know, we cannot, uh, as a government, we cannot idling while saying million dollars is being misspent in that way. Instead, what we're doing is we heavily increase the funding to detox uh, uh, treatment center, drastically increase the spaces there. And our, our goal is uh, to help our burdens shift into a different way of getting uh, how to uh, sort of attack this issue here by getting into recovery, by going into a comprehensive model that helps them rebuild their life. Minister, I'm wondering, uh, you know, as far as taking that first step, resources available to all burdens, whether or not it's yourself or a family member, is there is there one uh, hub that the province uh, presents that people can get more information on how to take that first path toward recovery? Absolutely. Uh, we have a, a comprehensive uh, sort of a, a system here that anybody who needs help, um, any actually any day uh, of the, any time of the day, 24-7, there's a confidential toll-free service that provides uh, people with in immediate sort of engagement to the system. There's a 1-800 number you can call. It's 1-866-332-2322. And that's the uh, uh, addiction hotline throughout the province. But if you forget about that, anybody have uh, access to internet, you just Google uh, Alberta Addiction Helpline. It will surface. Or if... Uh, if you can't remember any of those, don't have access to a computer, just dial 211. And that's a phone system that uh, the uh, receptions over there will direct you to the right service here. Perfect. 211. That's a good, that's an easy one to, re to remember. Thank you for joining us, Minister. Appreciate your time this morning. Uh, thank you for having me on your show. That is, uh, that is Associate Minister of Mental Health and Addictions, Jason Luan. It is Recovery Month in Alberta. Time now for helicopter traffic for West District by Truman. You will find a home that fits your lifestyle. Big problems on northbound Deerfoot this morning. We're still seeing delays through the southeast end between Douglasdale Boulevard and Southland Drive. And then further up at the Calf Row Bridge, there's a broken down vehicle in the left lane. So we're already seeing that back up stretching towards Glenmore Trail. There is a tow truck on scene, but they're currently behind the truck. So I think they're just trying to block it off so it does it doesn't become a collision. So definitely watch for that left lane closure on the Calf Row Bridge for northbound Deerfoot.